Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Weekly Standard Cruise. Cruise the Mediterranean with all of your Weekly Standard favorites, including Fred Barnes, Bill Crystal, and Steve Hayes. Visit TWS Cruise, the Weekly Standard Cruise, TWSCruise.com for more information. For Supreme Court watchers, it's been a pretty amazing week. Terry Eastland, executive editor of the Weekly Standard, is one of them. And Terry, where do we start? Well, one place to start might be on Monday of this week when the court in the Texas affirmative action case uh, basically um, uh, what it did was it acted in a way that that will make affirmative action uh, more difficult for colleges and universities to 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 execute. Uh, basically, uh, the court had before it a plan from Texas that used racial preferences to admit students. Uh, the preferences were extended to black applicants and to Hispanic applicants. And there was a young woman who sued over this. She was white, and she claimed that she had not had the equal protection of the laws. And the court almost agreed with her, but what it did, it sent back down the case to the lower court so that it might evaluate in a more stringent manner uh, what Texas had done in this preferential program. So We'll have a chapter two on this, that is to say the University of Texas will now have to see if it can meet this more rigorous standard that the court has, has, uh, has set forth. And uh, there could be a lawsuit coming out of that. Uh, I heard a lot of people who support affirmative action saying, see, the court didn't strike it down, as one uh, commentator said, quote, affirmative action is still the law of the land. But does the higher standard make it all but impossible for uh, an institution like a, a college campus to practice it? Well, you ask a good question. I mean, what's interesting about this is that uh, there is a previous case from 2003 that involved the University of Michigan, which uh, in its undergraduate school and its law school, uh, they both had used preferences to admit students. And uh, and basically, uh, universities and professional schools across the country had taken that case, the name of the case is Grutter, had taken that case as the... Uh, is the essential learning on affirmative action in terms of how you should proceed with it. And what the court has done is it's, uh, it's now said, look, Grutter means something more than what you universities have been thinking it means. And so uh, this is a new twist, and I, I guess you could, you could read it uh, in, in a positive term, uh, terms if you're for race preferences. You could say, well, they weren't struck down exactly. But I think on balance, what this case means is that it's going to be a lot harder to justify to a reviewing court the use of race in preferring students in applications. Uh, now, the other rulings regarding same-sex marriage, some people would argue that opponents of same-sex marriage are in the same position as supporters of affirmative action, which is the court didn't strike down their prohibitions on same-sex marriage, but it did make it harder for, uh, to, for, to, for those prohibitions to be maintained. They did pave the way to legalize same-sex marriage or perhaps rec recognize a fundamental right to same-sex marriage. Well, you're right to raise the question, uh, because what is interesting and what um, Scalia, uh, Justice Scalia, pointed out in his dissent in the case to which you refer uh, against Justice Kennedy, he pointed out that, look, the amazing thing is that the court's opinion does not even grapple with the central question here, which is whether or not there is a fundamental constitutional right to, to same-sex marriage. Um, but it seems that the court uh, has done enough work other, uh, short of that to, to carry forward the agenda for those who want to see a fundamental right, a fundamental constitutional right of that kind. I think we'll see, we'll see more lawsuits, we'll see more uh, efforts to, to, to create that reality. Because it seemed to me, if I understood the, the, the uh, argument from Kennedy, it was that 
we see this right that as it exists, and therefore states that have uh, uh, same-sex marriage, uh, you know, any federal uh, uh, you know, activity in that state must treat that marriage as the same as any other marriage because we see the right already. Did I misread his uh, his approach? Well, there there are only you know only a fraction of the states right now have um, uh, same-sex marriage uh, that countenance same-sex mm-hmm. marriage. Um, of course, the objective of those who support that would be to make it uh, 50 states, make it true in all 50 states. And I think there is enough uh, language in Kennedy's opinion, if I were a lawyer on the other side of this, to, to push real hard and see if we could get the court eventually, maybe with Kennedy writing in a few years, to give us that ruling. That, of course, would be intensely controversial should that happen, because it would be, uh, this, this, is, this is an issue, and I should, I should emphasize this, this is a question uh, the question of whether or not we should have uh, same-sex marriage uh, uh, understood uh, on the same terms as traditional marriage, uh, this question is one entirely for the American people to decide. It's not uh, spelled out in the Constitution. or It's, it's not there. It is free, we are free to decide what we wish to do on this subject, uh, just as I think we were free to decide what we wanted to do about abortion in 1973. And, of course, the court declared a constitutional right which then was highly controversial and still is. I think we'd be back in that same situation of controversy if this were to happen uh, the, in, in, this, in this additional context. Sure, sure. The, uh, the, the other uh, issue that was in, in, impacted and I would, would argue threatened by the ruling in the uh, Proposition 8 case is the, pre- the notion that self-governing people can go out, they can hold a legal vote, they can have a legal result, and then they can have that legal result simply ignored by a court system, and the executive of California can choose to say, we don't care that it's ignored, and all of the democracy gets set aside. Did the court affirm the ability of states to do that? Uh, basically what happened in California is, basically what happened in California is that you had uh, 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 people who were supporting Proposition 8, which... Uh, basically overturned a a ruling in the state, a, a judicial ruling that that same-sex uh, marriage um, is constitutional in that state. Um, and so uh, when that happened, uh, the proponents of Proposition 8 uh, wanted someone to defend um, uh, Proposition 8, and the government, the state government, refused to do so. So someone else had to do it, but the court, the United States Supreme Court, decided that... Um, that you can't do that. And you're right, it may disenfranchise people uh, who were given the franchise to pass the initiative in the first place. The, the purpose of the executive branch isn't to impose the will of the people, it's to execute the will of the people. And Jerry Brown could have easily stood, Governor Brown of California could have stood from the court and say, I absolutely support same-sex marriage, I voted against Proposition 8, but this is how the courts or how, how our democracy works. It's kind of disturbing to have the Supreme Court, in essence, say any executive that wants to shaft the people, feel free to do so. And we'll we'll find that no one else has standing other than you. And if you refuse to stand, everybody has to go home. Yeah, well, that's that could happen. I mean, if I'm in other states and I see this, I wonder to myself whether um, whether that's what will be the meaning in my state if we have the initiative process. I mean, again, you're right. I mean, this is something. The initiative process in California, they take great pride in historically. This is the way that people can, from the grassroots up, uh, grassroots up, make law. 
But yet, if there's no one there to defend the law, if the executive no longer can defend the law for some reason or other, well, then the law will go defenseless. If I, were, if I were an advocate of same-sex marriage, I would absolutely go the democracy route as opposed to lawsuits because now you've seen the game laid out. When you have a vote in a state and you win, you get same-sex marriage. When you have a state of vote and you lose, the courts overturn it, the vote doesn't count, and you get same-sex marriage. So this is a great system. It's a great system we've put in place, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion about about both of these decisions going forward, and there are lots of points of argument about them, and we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Terry Eastland with The Weekly Standard. We, we really appreciate it. You've been listening to The Weekly Standard podcast brought to you by The Weekly Standard Cruise. October 9th through 20th, cruise the Mediterranean with your Weekly Standard favorites. For all the details, visit TWSCruise.com. That's TWSCruise.com.